welcome to The Movie Never Ends, uh, a film review podcast with your hosts, Emily and Nick. Hello, I'm, Nick. I'm Emily. That's Emily saying hello. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we took some time off, but now we're back like James Brown in, you know, what's that one song of his that he, where he's back? The Big I'm Payback? Back. Well, he's back in The Big Payback. <laughs> but no, I was thinking, I was thinking, uh, 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 get up off of that thing. I just said thang. Thang. I really meant to say thing. I, well, I think it's spelled. But with get an up a. off of that thing. Anyway, I believe the beginning of that's like, oh, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> so we're back. We're back. That's what Nick's trying to get at here is we're back, and we're probably kind of rusty because we haven't done this in like half a year. So we're gonna maybe, do our best here. Maybe we're well well rested though. I mean, <laughs> think of it that way. We've had a a nice uh, vacation. Hmm. Winter break since November. Yeah. Well, it's not because we haven't been watching movies because we have been watching all of the movies. We're just not talking about them with you all. Yeah. Just Just with each other. So So here we go. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple movies today, starting out with this film called uh, Thoroughbreds. Thoroughbreds. Which is currently in theaters, but not very many of them. Right. We had to drive two and a half hours to go see it, which was well worth it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Emily, you want to summarize this so picture for our I, listeners? I have a little summary for you. Uh, <clears throat> During the summer between their junior and senior years in high school, Lily and Amanda, a couple of affluent teens in Connecticut, resume an old friendship culminating in a plot to murder Lily's stepfather, Mark. I'm going to spoil something for you right now. With their ne- The next part of the summary spoils a little bit, so here we go. Plan A involves the unwilling aid of Tim, played by the late Anton Yelchin, and when it falls through, Lily develops Plan B. And that, that's as much as I'm going to summarize, because otherwise I would just tell you the entire plot. So, yeah, this is this is your favorite film of the year so far, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean which isn't, we're only a few months in. So <laughs> saying, <that's... laughs> saying that much in March, but... No, but this is definitely a film that when I saw the previews for it back in, what, like late fall, early winter of yeah. last year, this is the film that I thought, oh my God, I need to see that as soon as possible, even if I have to drive two and a half hours to see it, you know, and and uh, and and when you are that excited about a film, of course, y- there's great potential for it to be disappointing, highly disappointing, which Phantom Thread was highly disappointing. So, <laughs> but we didn't talk about that. But anyways, um, but my point is that it actually was just as amazing as I had expected. The I think the trailer set up everything it needed to it. It achieved the right tone that was carried through in the film. I loved it. I loved everything about it. It was it was everything I needed to satisfy my twisted soul right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a good movie. It's a debut film for the director and writer, um, who I, I think is known more as a playwright, though I've never heard right. of him. Right. He's plays. a young man named Corey Finley. I'm pretty sure he's under thirty, which is yeah. makes him very young for Although this I don't know how you found that out because literally right before this I was Googling him. IMDB. And... No, on IMDB I couldn't find his On his IMDB page on the little trivia section it, it says oh. voted, you know something under 30 like best you know, playwrights under 30 yeah or something. yeah most interesting dudes in hollywood under 30 mm. or something anyway like so that. this man what we're getting at here he's a young man this is his directorial debut writing debut too this is well, first credit all around i think screenwriting yeah but yeah. playwriting and screenwriting yeah, i mean, that's a, that's I mean they're I mean. not the same thing but it's not like he's never written anything before well yeah but i don't know anything about it anyhow he knocked it out of the park this guy i am well, so excited to see the next thing that he does I don't know if I'd go that far. This is a really good movie. Um, I yeah. I is it is it the best movie I've seen so far this year? 
Yes, but the competition isn't all that high. <laughs> and and granted, we have not seen you know the the crowd favorite Black Panther, which is making all kinds of money. And eventually, we'll what get do you to need it. to know about Black Panther? It's a dude in a, in a specialized yeah. suit beating up other dudes. <laughs> it's got a better soundtrack than the usual. Marvel but he comes movie. from Africa this time, instead. so the costumes so, are cooler, wow. and it's I mean, got a better yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. So I mean, you know, there there is that. Um, this is this is this is a pretty cool movie, though. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say that. I, I mean to 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 have a little bit of a difference of opinion. Oh yeah, you try to be critical about this one. Go I'm going to say that it, that that it looks to me in parts like a first directorial work. There's a little bit of rust on some of the stuff, uh, a little unevenness in some of the staging, um, some of the parts of the production. But the parts he does well, he does extraordinarily well. There's there's scenes in this movie that are great. Uh, there's there's Can dialogue you just in this name movie like- that's great. Like when you say parts that he does well, can you name like like the elements that he does? Yeah, well, well, well first, for instance, most of this movie is set in the character Lily's house, um, and he does a really great job from the very start of really giving you a sense of the house, the geography of the house, the architecture of the house. I love when people do that sort of thing. Yeah, in fact, it gets labyrinthian. It at gets times. labyrinthian at times, but 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 it really like he takes you through in tracking shots through the house a number of times. In a way that 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 really gives you the scale, um, makes it seem less like a sitcom or a play. A lot of times, when you're working on like a single setting sort of thing in films, it can seem that way um, if you shoot it just in those like you know those those one two shots, like a Wes Anderson shot. Shall we? Say? Yeah, yeah. But but he's a little <laughs> Wes more. Anderson he's a little more dollhouse. Sort of he's like, a little more dollhousey. So he's a little more stylized. Away. I mean, more like you know, um, what was that movie? Carnage. Remember that one that was a play? Yeah. And it was it was shot like a play, basically. Yeah. Like yeah. like I couldn't really tell you about the setup of that apartment. Yeah, but I mean to be fair, that apartment was like one tenth the size yeah, it, yeah. In, in like just internal volume. Okay, for instance, Lily's, uh, house. Uh, um, Lily's house is its ranging mansion that you kind of get the impression I'm gonna just throw that some weird Lily and her you. family have yeah. never actually seen everything. Do you remember the film house. Sucker Punch? No. It was. It's that kind of terrible movie about like a girls' school or like whatever, and it's like that lady imagines fighting th- the scenes or whatever. It's by Zack Snyder, but anyways, it takes place in a giant house. But I never got a sense of the geography of the house right, at yeah. all. I mean, there's a lot of movies you can point to that are like that. This really has a sense of the geography um, in a way that's really strong. It also well, even it has a sense of I think not just within the house, but it definitely carries through in terms of giving you like. Uh, even before they say here, you know, Connecticut, like mm-hmm. even before they actually say the name Connecticut, you start to think, which state is this in? And and because of little things, you start to think, OK, this is somewhere where a bunch of rich people live. It's not it's like not a city, but it's really close to maybe a major city like New York City or Chicago or, you know, it's definitely not Dan West Barry. Coast. You kind of <laughs> you definitely get a sense. And before yeah. they even say Connecticut, you're thinking this could be in Connecticut. It's and they don't. Well, you the know, horse thing, too, I think, makes it more East Coast. Right. There's a lot of West elements Coast, that he puts in there. Like there's there's an ocean involved. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's like coastline. There's uh, anyways. Anyways. So, so so that's one of the elements. One of the elements he does, he really, does well. really well. He he does uh he handles these young actresses very well too. These are this is the best performances I've seen from either right. of them. Though they've Do you want to mention who they are? Yeah. Point? Well, I mean, uh the the girl who plays Amanda who I was especially impressed by. I hadn't actually seen her in something before. Um she reminds me a lot of actually an old college friend, but 
you know, we'll just leave that one hanging for the people that know us. Uh, the the girl that plays Lily, she's actually had a pretty interesting career so far. Last year, she was in uh, M Night Shyamalan's Split. She was the the main, the final girl. The main, in that, yeah, the and, main girl, but, the final girl. Um, and she did an okay job is, with um, that. But I didn't. Her name is Anya Taylor Joy. I didn't think that she was an outstanding actress for that. I thought she was adequate in Split. In Split, I mean, what that, about in The Witch? She was the, in witch, the witch. She was also in The she's Witch. She's the star of the and witch. And she's the star of the witch, which I thought she did a better job from in. what, like 2016? Yeah, so it's like the year before. Okay. She just to give you an idea, that actress right now is 22. Mm. The actress who played Amanda Olivia Cook, she's 25. Which actually, I think, when I looked up their ages, I thought, yeah, that makes sense. Like, they're playing pretty close to the age. They're, you know, they're supposed to be, like, 17-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. And they both, obviously, they have very youthful-looking faces. Mm-hmm. But they also, I think, are close enough to that age. And they play it really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say so. But, yeah, uh, so back to uh, Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy. Taylor Being 22, she was, what, like, 2019 or 20, probably, when she was in the witch. Yeah, and she maybe she, even as young as eighteen. She did on a really, she did a very good job in that. But I think that was also that's a, that's a movie that's kind of hard to judge the acting. I mean, it's because true. it is so specific to that film and the style is stilted in a way that it's supposed to be. Right. Um. I mean, but but that that's but a whole other conversation. Carry that film. She does she definitely is carry actually that film. one of the. I mean. You see it through her eyes. But and, that film makes you believe that the guy who plays Finchie from The Office is a really good actor, too. <laughs> I so, know. <laughs> so I think a lot of that is... <laughs> I know. When you realize that that's who you're watching as the father in that movie, you're like, yeah. oh, my God, I thought he was only good at making lewd jokes. <laughs> okay. So so anyways, no, but she's had a very interesting career. And this yeah. is a, another really interesting... I mean, good step for her, I think. Well, she she does a really good job with some, a strong role. Like, cool projects with people who... I mean, this one, I'm surprised that this actor, I don't know what Corey Finley's connections are in Hollywood, mm. but he was able to get, I think, some pretty awesome Up and talent coming for talent. this. Yeah. And uh, I would think that, you know, they, I, I would think that the relationship is very symbiotic with everybody who worked on this film. I can't imagine anyone coming out of this film not having better opportunities even because of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the casting for this film, I mean, there's there's only a couple speaking roles Mm-hmm. And all of them are are pretty pretty well done. Anton mm-hmm. Yelchin, this is his last role. I know, which is, makes me sad. I know, I know. I did I, like that young oh, guy. That was another reason why I was dying to see this. He was a pretty I, okay. Check off in the Star guy, Trek movies. He, he was, was okay great that, in Green Room. Green Room is where I completely fell in love with him as an actor, and yeah. it was really just shortly after that that he died in real life. You and know it, what? You know what? It, I it, I liked him best in actually. Me. What? Uh, what was that terrible Joe Dante movie he was in? Where his girlfriend comes back from the dead. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but he's so charming uh, in that. I don't remember what it's called, but yeah, he plays a boyfriend who's who like whose girlfriend becomes comes back a zombie. from the dead. She's like an undead girlfriend, and she's just yeah awful. <laughs> um, and so it's late period he's, Joe yeah. Dante. Joe Dante is a you know one of my favorite filmmakers. He made yeah. Gremlins back in the day, yeah. and The Burbs, and some really great '80s classics. He hasn't had the the best decade, we'll say, uh, since uh, a couple decades now, actually, since since. Looney Tunes back in action, I think. But, you know, <laughs> he's a lovable man, okay. and uh, he really got a good performance out of Anton Yelchin in that one movie. I, I think, unfortunately, everybody got a good performance out of Anton Yelchin, and it's incredibly sad that he's gone at such a young age. Yeah, yeah. Because so, I think that that guy... Yeah, so something that I read uh, trivia-wise about this film, Thoroughbreds, is that Corey Finley, when he was writing this, he actually was writing it for stage. Which makes sense, given and, the small cast. Yeah, and and... 
Anton Yelchin, uh, his character's name is Tim. Tim's part was actually supposed to be much smaller. Mm. Um, and then as he was writing the the screen adaptation, like he kind of transitioned from you know stage to screen with this project. And as he did, he gave Tim a bigger part. And he was like, when Anton Yelchin played that part, he the the director was like really glad he'd written a bigger part for him because he was like, oh yeah, he brings so much more to that character than I had expected. Yeah. Um, and he also thinks that Tim is the character you're supposed to really like sympathize with the most. Which is funny. Which is like really interesting. Statutory rapist. I well, believe. yeah. And that's, that. yeah. But I mean, everybody in this movie is flawed. Everybody yeah. has yeah. like a dark side. Everybody has sort of like bad things that they've done. And, you know. You, this movie works on a number of you levels. You have to it, get into everybody's and so at, at some point. At first I was, uh, that's one of the things I was actually put off a little bit at first about. And I had to actually think about to decide whether or not I liked it. Because um, I wasn't sure at first if some of the relationship things were purposeful or were just sort of like writing that didn't really follow through. But I, I, I do think that 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 the director, writer-director meant it. And I do think that it is clever and subtle in what it ends up be ends up doing, um, which we'll, we'll get into in a little bit. But, but I just wanted to say that, you know, we talked about, you talked about how this movie is not really a, a movie where you like everybody in it. It reminds me a lot of like Brett Easton Ellis sort of, sort of characters. Oh, totally. This sort of, you know, taking the upper classes in America and putting them under a bit of a microscope, uh, a bit of a critique. Um, yeah, in fact, I think the first association I made with this film, even just watching a preview, but it's mm-hmm. um, definitely validated by the entire movie, is that it's... Very similar to American Psycho in I think sort it's of the, its darkness yeah. and its and its uh, treatment pitch. of of yuppie culture. Elevator pitch, I think, was American Psycho meets Heather's. That's the what I've seen around about the, yeah. the film, and it's not not really dissimilar, but I do think it does a bit of a disservice. I read that the director is a big fan of, of Harold Pinter, the British playwright, who's very wordy, um, and I, I, I think that Harold actually bits a, 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 makes a bit more sense if you do know Harold Pinter. I don't. Um, well, he's would like. The, would the layman know Harold? Pinter? Yeah, you should. I mean, I don't know. People From know what? Harold Pinter. Um, a bunch of you know f- films with Dirk Bogard. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember their names right now because uh, they have like okay. one word names. That's okay. Are they older? Yeah, like seventies or eighties. Okay. I think the films are from. But so you were saying that, like, the, wait, what? What were you saying about Harold Pinter in this? I'm saying I, I'm saying that that I think that the Heather's American Psycho uh, comparison sell the film a bit short. I think what he's doing is a little bit deeper. Ends up being a pretty deep character study, but it does work on a surface level as kind of a '90s style critique of consumerism. Oh, totally. Um, and and you know, rich people basically. Yeah. Rich American people. Um, and so that's, that's the first level I think you engage with the film at, and and that's a fun level, but that actually is not the main work the film's doing, I don't think. Right. Well, and I think this is what's going on is that the film is so very, uh, elaborate in terms of like we mentioned the, the setting, Mm -hmm. these, these gigantic houses, you know, I mean, you, you get to like go inside these huge mansions, like multiple huge mansions in this film and you get to kind of see bits of this town and, and, you know. Um, the way that people live in a spa at one point, like a really upscale spa. You you kind of get to like vacation and like wealthy people's lives. There's also 
my favorite part is the costuming. I think that the costuming in this is so incredibly key for nailing that sense of mm. these people are not you and me. These people are almost alien in in their like elite class, you know, upper class sort of thing. But th- all of those visual um, sorts of uh, cues are yeah they're enjoyable like on the surface level it's it's like you said there's like a surface level like here's um this elite upper class world that you are entering and then you're right then 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 there's like a much deeper uh intrigue in this film and it comes through in the dialogue and what goes on between these characters lily and amanda yeah in their relationship like the development of their relationship which of course it's really interesting at the very beginning of the film they are not interested in being friends at all. Well, I mean, clearly Amanda it sort of is more interested in Lily than 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 not. I think that that's definitely true. Um, well, Lily's kind of scared of Amanda. Yeah, and we find out later is because Amanda <laughs> is known to have like slaughtered a horse. So in the, this really awful. The manner. movie was originally thoroughbred, like uh, singular, which I think referred more to the horse part of this yeah. film. Um, which which happens off camera. It's sort of like you know uh, when the film starts. It's this this girl Amanda had uh, had killed her horse mm-hmm. in a kind of grotesque way, and so she's kind of like uh, she's definitely out. She's infamous, in yeah. infamous, locally yeah. But infamous. because she's in this really upper echelon, you know, super wealthy culture, mm-hmm. you don't just you know you don't just like discard somebody it's like they're still there in that society yeah. and so and and you kind of treat them with this uh amanda's mom had paid level of lily to uh to tutor her yeah. and so it's like being paid kind of to be her friend a little bit is the idea at the it's beginning like a paid companion <laughs> which is a very old-fashioned way yeah which is also rich people have always oh totally companions. yeah but but I digress. Uh, so, but at the beginning of the film, you get this character Amanda who announces basically that she has no feelings, basically saying she's a psychopath, right? Um, and and so you you see you see a friendship develop between a girl who claims to be a psychopath and another girl who's who's who doesn't, um, but but you know kind of wants to use the psychopath, I guess, is intrigued by the psychopath. And so I thought at first that this was a film that just didn't understand psychopaths. Mm-hmm. I will say, I mean, most of the film through, I was like, this is really entertaining. It's a fun film. It's cleverly written. But, but it just but, doesn't get. But you can't get a psych degree by watching this. You can't get a psych degree this. by watching this. This, this, this girl is clearly not a psychopath. So this would drive psychologists crazy, uh, right? It's another one of those films exactly. in the long line of films that totally misunderstands psychology. But after some reflection, I think the director realizes this. I think that the you know the 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 characters are unreliable about themselves, and the 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 big takeaway from the film is it's a character study of this friendship between a psychopath. And a girl who's not, but it turns out that the girl that thinks she's a psychopath is the girl that's not the psychopath, and the girl that doesn't say <laughs> she's a psychopath is. That's the big twist, um, yeah. and that's the thing that like it's very subtle. I think mm-hmm. it never outright comes and says that; it just shows you that through actions, um, and, and and it's it's clever and it's it's really well done. It's almost too well done. I think the reviews I've read about this, the press I've read about it. People don't really pick people up on People don't it. get it. People haven't what? really picked up on Cause it. Because, again, like, people just don't understand, like, yeah. people, people don't stop most of the time and, and, and think, think about, about it. it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So so that's the thing. Like, it, it's a actually, it actually is a, a, a well-written, clever portrait of of this relationship. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, and there's there's some really interesting sort of there's the service things that happen, but there's a lot of like hinting at deeper things that may or may not be happening. Like, do these girls have a sexual relationship? Right. I think that leaves it open in a way that I, is my, very interesting. My assumption is, uh, and I'll go like shot by shot here. Like, I feel like the the clues towards that happen really early on. Yeah. And are reinforced vaguely throughout it. So mm-hmm. here's the scene where at the beginning when um, Amanda and Lily finally have their breakthrough conversation. This is very early on in the film where uh, Amanda f- just says to Lily like, hey, yeah, I don't have emotions. And Lily's kind of horrified by that. And then she says something to Amanda and realizes that she hasn't hurt her feelings by, or, you know, in, insulted her by yeah. saying this. And she's like really relieved to finally have someone she can be honest with in her life because clearly she's just bottling everything up yeah. like teenagers do. And then um, then Amanda gives her a hug, which is actually really funny because at first Amanda reaches out to Lily as she's walking by her to, to hug her, and Lily flinches back, and she's like, oh, I thought you were going to attack me, and Amanda's <laughs> like, no. And she hugs her, which is also really weird because obviously if you don't have emotions, you don't have an emotional response towards hugging exactly. someone. Exactly. So clearly it's a forced thing, but anyways, it's almost like a seduction in a way. Yeah. Um, and then, and you see Amanda's face as she's kind of like holding Lily and like smelling her hair. And then it cuts to a, a different house, which you're kind of like, oh, wait, is this the mansion they're in? Is it not the mansion you're in? It's a little confusing. We find out later that's Amanda's house. Anyways, Amanda has just come out of the shower, which is kind of a, like a post-sex kind yeah, of Yeah, it's like going through thing. a tunnel, cutting through yeah, a tunnel. Yeah, or like she's smoking a cigarette <laughs> or something, you know. Anyways, so, and she's trying to like kind of style her hair as it's wet like it's Lily's hair. And you, you sort of get this sense of, oh, she admires Lily. There's, I mean, it, maybe she doesn't thing, have perhaps. some emotions, but she has admiration. And I think a lot of this movie you see more on Amanda's part of admiration towards Lily than you see of Lily. Like, Lily's more manipulative in the end. Lily wants to have Amanda around because she can talk to her. She can, you know, she can, like, get out all these She things. wants she, to use her as a tool, basically. And then eventually she decides, oh, Amanda's really great in this plan to murder my stepfather, yeah, who I yeah. hate. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's a lot of interesting... I think there's a lot of moments where when you reflect back on it, you kind of think about, well, if you don't have emotion, can you still have likes and dislikes? Can you still have an inclination to do certain activities? Or, mm-hmm. you know, like there's there certainly is um, like there certainly are certain psychological disorders where you feel nothing, like literally nothing all the time. But. I think what they're getting at with Amanda is that it's not that she doesn't feel anything. It's that she lacks compassion, but she has like admiration. She has, you know, like she, she still has like a certain, uh, like family of emotions Mm -hmm. or feeling like, I guess more feelings than emotions. See, my take is that she does have emotions entirely and she's she's just just hiding it. She's just, she's just in denial about it. So that actually reminds me of another movie and I had to like, write it down so I didn't forget because it's another movie that was a very powerful movie from I think last year and it's The Lobster 
Oh, and, yeah, yeah, And yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I was thinking about this at the end of the, at the end of Thoroughbreds, you sort of see Amanda having um, like a fond, a fond feeling, at least. She smiles in what you think might be a natural smile at the end, mm-hmm. brought on by, you know, memories of riding horses with Lily as children. And, uh, and so you think, well, yeah, has she actually been as like a defense mechanism or something? Has she been masquerading as somebody the whole time who doesn't have emotions? And I realized that that's exactly what Colin Farrell does in The Lobster when he's trying to like, he's trying really hard to like be with that lady who who doesn't have emotions (laughs) and is like awful, really, really monstrous. And Colin Farrell tries his best and he finally actually like gives himself away because she kills his dog and he can't handle it. I don't know. I just anyways, I think that that's interesting that like Mm -hmm. there's multiple. I'm going to have to stop saying interesting. Uh, There's movies. I think that there's an. uh, the Psychopath dr- Film Festival? Yeah, yeah, I think that there's actually <laughs> way more psychopathic uh, characters in movies now, like in the in the age of social media. Yeah. Um, and I think that this movie kind of touches on that a bit. Yeah. Um, I, I was also just watching Nightcrawler recently, so I'm definitely in the... That's m- another one for I'm it. definitely yeah, in the zone of like psychopaths in movies. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyways... Where where else were we going to go with talking about this movie? Well, I mean, what else do you want to say about oh, it? Oh, well, I'd like to say another thing that I don't think we mentioned yet, which is a strength of this movie, which I, you, you don't often think about this in movies, but it's like the sound design or sound editing yeah. in this movie is incredible. It tells a story on its own, and it's really one particular sound that's just... I mean, it floors you when you're hearing it because it's the sound of... Um, Lily's stepfather, Mark, he goes upstairs and does this like rowing machine exercise thing. And, and this is like wet churning sound. It's like a... But it sounds kind of wet too. Yeah, the there's time. like kind of there's almost like, a, like gurgle to it yeah, or something. Yeah. It's, it's a it's, really... But it's really gross sounding and it, it kind of... It's it's funny because it actually... It's annoying sounding and, it, and like Lily talks about like, you know, it's just like one of those things that makes her like... Yeah. So annoyed with her stepfather, and that reminds me a bit of Phantom Thread because Phantom Thread is another one where where it tries to have the joke about like being annoyed at someone mm. you're close to making sounds, making sounds in that one. Like Daniel Day Lewis hates the sound of his lady friends <laughs> eating, Just eating toast, eating breakfast. I mean, preparing their toast food can be really loud. But anyway, um, but anyways, but but that to me didn't work very well. Whereas this worked extraordinarily well, well. and it's because it told a story. Yeah, because you hear it. At, at like certain moments, mm-hmm. and and you hear it, um, you kind of like you, like it, it. You're informed of what this sound is. You're informed that it's annoying, and then you're informed like that, um, like he's occupied doing this. There's this moment where that becomes the sound that you hear as Amanda's leaving the house. Yeah, and there's this tracking shot that's really great. It's act. It's right after Amanda has proposed to Lily to kill Mark and Lily's horrified or she acts horrified. She tells Amanda to leave. So Amanda leaves the house and there's this great tracking shot that follows Amanda through this labyrinthian mansion as she's leaving. And you go through different rooms upstairs and, you know, through and around corners and stuff. And you hear like the TV as she's passing the one room. And then you hear, um, 
that kind of like transitions into the sound of this rowing machine and the tracking shot kind of creeps up the stairs into the darkness and it becomes the only thing you're hearing and it's really creepy really really like sets the the tone of this movie you know it's very dark and it's you, yeah. you know that there's violence coming like you just know it and then the sound of violence this is foretold a by a rowing machine, machine. <laughs> and then and then later on of course another spoiler spoiler alert <clears throat> um later on you when lily finally kills mark you're only in the living room or the tv room with amanda who's sleeping on the couch she's been drugged and you don't see it. Yeah, you don't yeah. see it. Lily goes out of the room. She goes upstairs. The whole time you're hearing this rowing machine, and there's such great sound design because the TV, whatever movie is on, it, it's you're listening, in, and then all of a sudden the part of the dialogue in the in the movie says, you know, they go shh, and that's when you kind of you're you know you're like supposed to then key into this rowing machine sound, and you hear like you know. You hear it stop, like kind of shudder and stop, and then you hear some thumps, and it's just so great because it's really a tense scene, and everything you can imagine is happening is told to you through sound. I mean, that's a very unusual thing for a film. Yeah. And it was done incredibly successfully. It was done really well. Um, Also, I mean, one of the differences between this and Phantom Thread, too, is I think, like, why this works for me is because I think when people get annoyed by things like sounds like that, uh, repetitive sounds, things like, you know, sounds people make. It's an excuse. It's it's a thing that you 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 dislike about someone you already dislike. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like like Lily hates her stepfather in this to begin with from the start of the film. You know that. So of course this thing he does drives her nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas in Phantom Thread, Dana DeLewis is supposed to be in love with these characters. Um, that annoy him with the sound of their toast or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. So so it's one of those you know one of those things that I think it, it it's more psychologically true for me. Uh, but but it's a good movie. It's a subtle movie, and I do recommend seeing it if you, you get the it's chance. Subtle. I, I think, think it's, it whacks you over the head. I think it works on two levels, and I think one well, of those levels is extraordinarily yeah. subtle. I think like there's a there's a late movie reversal of Mark's character. I think there's there's a there's sort of a yeah revelation. the moment when Mark the movie gives Lily you all this information in that makes you think like Mark's like a child molester Mark's like the worst person ever he totally deserves to be murdered and then there's a there's a conversation that happens that causes you to question everything you think you know about the characters in the movie that's a subtle conversation mm-hmm. that's a subtle thing and mm-hmm. it's extraordinarily well done it, it's do it's, you think that sorry to interrupt you but do you feel like um, do you feel like only adults would get that reversal for his character? Do you yeah. think that if a teenager was watching it, they would never understand I that think he actually? Any of the film critics I've read about didn't get it. Oh, just nobody gets it. <laughs> I think nobody got except it except us. <laughs> I'm sure there are other people out there, but I think it's one of those things that if you're not paying attention to the movie and if you're just watching it, thinking, "Oh, this is American Psycho meets Heather's," you're going to be like, "Why didn't the film tell you whether or not Mark actually like molests Lily?" Well, it does. It does. It's the conversation when she's smoking in the kitchen and he's yeah. annoyed with her. Yeah, it it, it and, shows a and lot. And you all of a character. sudden get like, oh, she's a spoiled, selfish brat. She's maybe a psychopath. And he's actually the one that's probably like put up with more yeah. coming from her. He's like an annoying yuppie guy, but he's not yeah. out of the norm. Yeah, as she is. 
She is. And so that's one of those the killer's already inside the house moments. It's just <laughs> if it works for you, it's great. And I do think it's a really it's a really subtle piece of filmmaking. Hmm. Subtle piece of writing. You know, it's funny because reading about this, you know, just briefly, um, like different snippets about it online, people were talking about um it becoming a cult classic, and I was like, I is it just because it's dark? I think sometimes just because something is yeah. dark and stylish, like really stylish. Yeah. And dark. I think sometimes people are like, oh, we'll just throw this term at it. Cult classic, you know. But it's, I don't think cult classic is the way I would describe it. Um, I think that it's. I think it's going to be a, a, a writer-actor's movie in reputation. Because mm. I think those are some of the things that it does it does uh, well. Or does differently. A studio. I mean, because if, if this was a big studio production, they would have never let him get away with the subtlety of the film. They would have made him underline a lot of the points that are taken care of very subtly. Hmm. You know, so that that's that's a that's a thing that I think is to the movie's credit, but it does presuppose a certain amount of literacy um yeah, filmic literacy on the on the part of the audience. Yeah. So, uh you want to talk about the other thing we watched this week too? Um, yeah, I was just trying to think about if there was anything else I needed to say about Thoroughbreds. And I don't know. I, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. An, it's an amazing film. <laughs> it's a, I really, like, visually it's wonderful to watch. The sound is, you know, the, the score is pretty good. Like, again, going back to Nightcrawler, watching that for a second time this week, I was like, God, the score is terrible. Like, it's such a great film, but it has the worst score ever. And it's like, I, I feel like Thoroughbreds for me is something I wouldn't change anything about. Yeah. I, I just don't think there's anything I, I think I think some it. of the scenes play out a little long. I mean, it's a, it's a little boring in parts. Really? I think some of it can play I a little bit like... it has tension almost the whole it time. It does, and it, it works 90%, I think. But but number one, it, it doesn't get like... To me, to the sequences don't get like operatic enough for them to be like really, really play. And and to me, like there's a danger where it falls... It almost falls, but not quite into this like well-done character study movie that the the emblematic example I can think of is One Hour Photo with Robin Williams. Mm. That was like, it's an okay thriller, sure, mm. but it's like a guy who thinks he's making a really good movie that people didn't really end up caring about past the, the release date. Yeah. You know, I don't think that Thoroughbreds is that. I think Thoroughbreds, Thoroughbreds is a lot better of a film. Well, and I think part of that's just because in thoroughbreds you have these two girls who are really enjoyable to watch they have really interesting things to say Mm -hmm. and you're you're sort of left with not knowing who you sympathize with more or if you're horrified with both of them or if you sympathize equally with both of them there's i think that it's one of those films that you can come away still kind of intrigued by these characters yeah i think that there's like a there's a glamorousness there's also like a grittiness there's uh very unique character traits that they both have and um i think that that's why you i would be surprised if somebody was like oh i saw it once and i never wanted to see it again i mean it you know there's like all this great tension that you wouldn't have the second time but i think you'd still have the the intrigue that those characters give you, I think that would remain. And the conversations play really well. I think yeah. they're very yeah. well thought out. They're they're both a kind of a naturalist style, but they're they they exist in a stylized mm-hmm. world. I think. I think 
pretty much everything about this movie is very highly stylized. Oh, really? See, I think, yeah. but I think the the way it's played is not like a Wes Anderson sort of play. No, no, it's no. It's not like a the lobster. Well, is remember way more we were talking stylized. about nocturnal animals also from last yeah. year and how that was incredibly stylish. Mm-hmm. You know, had like a such a sense of like yeah. visual stylization. Um, and that one had a. I mean, that was very different in a lot of other ways, but that one didn't leave me with intrigue about the characters the way that this one does. I guess what I mean by by what I say it wasn't stylized dialogue is that I actually believe the characters were different people. Usually when 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 I when I think a movie has like really stylized dialogue, it's where I can really just hear the feel, the writer through every character. Do you feel like that um, Quentin, Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino? I feel like that with the guy who wrote The Lobster. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. all those characters, they're 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 playthings well, for the maybe this guy's just a way pieces. better writer. He, yeah, he did, he did a good job with the with mm-hmm. creating characters. The costumes are fantastic, though. I seriously, <laughs> I want all those costumes. Okay, so now I think we can move on. All right. Well, yeah. we'll briefly talk about uh, this film we watched called Little Sister, which is available for streaming on Netflix. And we watched it um, for one main reason because uh, we have a, a local. Uh, community theater ensemble, a little, little theater ensemble in our town called the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble. Um, and Nick's I, been working with them on a production of The Legend of George Georgia McBride. McBride, which they're making a movie of next year. It's going to be a movie. So I sound designed that, but I got to you know hang out during all this. And one of the guest actresses is a, uh, a woman named Amber Williams from New York City, I believe she lives now. Um, and she uh, she has a film credit in the movie Little Sister, so we're like, hey, she's in. Town. Gotta watch it. We gotta watch it. <laughs> so if you're in Bloomsburg and you're listening to this, uh, you can watch Little Sister, and then you can go and see Amber live on stage in our own town for the next couple weeks, doing a really kick-ass doing a really job. kick-ass job in a part that I don't think even deserves her. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyways, she's briefly in Little Sister at the beginning of the film, not a huge role, but still pretty pretty cool movie. And then we found out afterwards. That uh, that movie, Little Sister, is Richard Brody, the weirdo film critic from The New Yorker's favorite film of 2016. Is Richard Brody the one with the big beard? He's the one with the big beard. Brody, like he's Beardy Brody. He's Beardy Brody, yeah. exactly, exactly. So he's uh, it was this, it was he said the best film of 2016. So Amber Williams, All actress the movies in that came out in, in 2016, Bloomsburg. and he chose Little Sister. She was in. The best film of 2016, mm-hmm. according to the, mm-hmm. fil- the the film critic from the New Yorker. So this film is a, is about uh, uh, a, wo- a young woman who's uh, training to be a nun, who uh, gets a message. That's just sorry. That's just a funny term. I mean, what I would mean, you call no, it? No, no. I think there's a different term that the Catholic Church uses. I don't know but it. I don't know it either because it's I'm not nun Catholic. school, <laughs> sort of. She's like a She's noviate. Training. I mean, noviates. They're, they're noviates, right? That's noviates. Sounds, yeah, that's like the first stage of being a nun. All right. I think anyway. She's noviating. Yeah. Well, anyways, and and uh, <laughs> she gets a message from her mother down in like Asheville, North Carolina. Um, that her brother that is her home. brother is home. Her brother is a veteran of the Iraq War. This is a period piece, a slight period piece. Takes place in two thousand and eight, um, and he had had been injured in the war, and he's like very facially scarred, like some Mel Gibson movie I remember called The Man Without a Face. But anyways, um, so she she takes some time off from her nun school. Noviating. And uh, she goes down to confront her family that she had sort of run away from, basically, and, and just try to mend some bridges, to reestablish some relationships. It's a it's a it's a strange little character study, and it does some interesting things. Um, it doesn't have much in the way of plot. I don't. I wouldn't say 
but it does some really strong character work. Uh, so it's funny in ways that you are, are pretty unexpected. Um, and the, the main actress does a really good job with the role of the titular little sister. Ali Sheedy, kind of disappointing, I think. She's like the big name actress in the film, and she's not yeah, great. Yeah, she plays a suicidal mother. Pot-smoking mother. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's not fantastic. I, I actually was way more blown away by the main the main actress. The main actress, whose name I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember right now, because she's not Amber Williams, currently starring in the <laughs> Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble's production of The Legend of Georgia McBride. But anyways, it's worth a watch if you if you got an hour and a half and you feel like watching the best movie of 2016, according to some prominent critics. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the strong points of that movie for me were that um, the storytelling doesn't rush anything. It tells you a lot about this young lady's life in a way where it kind of reveals things in an interesting order and it, it reveals things, you know, to one degree or another at certain times and mm-hmm. kind of circles back and fills in gaps as it goes. Um, and the relationships seem really strained and then become, you know, very intimate. Yeah. Uh, it's a nice family. It's kind of like a nice movie about family, like dysfunctional families and family relationships and family bonds that, I don't know, it's it's not something that a lot of people write films about that aren't like, I don't know, August Osage County and are just horrible. You know, I, I think I think a lot of times, I mean, even Lady Bird, you know, like very. It's not the, the, too dissimilar from something uh, like Lady Bird in yeah, tone and in scope. I would know, say it's scope. A, it's, it's a bit more stylized, a bit more uh, Hollywood in a way, or, or a bit more movie world rather than real world than Lady Bird. I yeah, think. well, and I think because there's certain things going on, like you know, this gal's a nun. I mean, how many people can relate yeah, to that? Exactly, That's not a very exactly. typical occupation for most people. And she's, she, she was a, like a, a goth know. in high school. Right, to like the goth war turned nun, which is kind of great. And I love that it does those things. And even like Ali Sheedy being like a severely depressed suicidal mother, it, it, you know, and this, her brother being like a severely, you know, like uh, having like, really bad burn scars and everything and, and being kind of a shut in because of it initially. Like there's a lot of really like over the top dramatic things on paper, but then the way that they're played are a bit more mundane and a, a bit more, a bit uh, more small stakes, but there, yeah. but there, but there's everything about this film is sort of warm <clears throat> and familiar feeling. kind Yeah. Of. And the performances are, are pretty uniformly like there's there's an there's an empathy to them and there's a warmness to them that that I find really pretty charming. Mm-hmm. It's a good hangout movie, you know what I mean? Like like it, that's mm-hmm. what it does. At least plot ends like dangling all over the place. Yeah, but it's a pretty fun hangout movie. Yeah. And you know, I mean, we just talked about two indie films. We did. Which is, I mean, you know, how often do we do that? That's... Yeah, we'll have to go see something like super. <laughs> <laughs> Black Panther. Yeah. Black Panther next week. <laughs> totally. But I want to say uh, thanks for, you know, starting to listen to our show again, and hopefully we'll get back into a regular swing of things. Yeah, we're going to try to get a Facebook page up and going for just for this, and uh, we're going to be posting other content on there about things that we really love about other movies that we don't podcast about. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like what a what a badass Ilo Pino is in the film Roadhouse, which yeah, has we're... nothing to do with the 1987 Patrick Swayze film Roadhouse. Who knew?
knew? Who knew? All right, see you next time. Yeah.